rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. All right, Richard. So before we dive into the first season series of In the Flesh. Before we sink ask... our teeth into the first series of In the Flesh. There you go. You're getting into the spirit of things. I want to ask you what your thoughts are about zombies as a concept. I mean, I lived through the 2000s, so I'm fucking bored of zombies at this point. The I mean, there was that really thing where every single thing was a zombie movie. Monsters go through phases, you know? There's zombies, vampires become really popular. I think witches are the in thing now. Um, and it... it in, so in many ways, zombies is a trend that feels kind of played out. I was not excited to be seeing a zombie show. I don't watch The Walking Dead. I don't really enjoy it. I find a lot of the concepts of zombies to be upsetting in a way that zombie shows don't really deal with. Um, and I mean, I will say I liked these three episodes very much because I think they strike a tone that a lot of zombie media doesn't and it does manage to find a lot it does manage to hit a lot of what i do find upsetting about zombie stuff if you know what i mean uh yeah that said i don't necessarily find the i mean video games are one of my big things and a lot of video games use zombies because a zombie is something that you can kill without remorse or conscience right like this is something that is it looks like a human, you know, you can do target practice and stuff, but it's not an actual conscious person. Killing a zombie is not committing murder. And it's 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 a moral dodge to me. I appreciate this series for giving an amount of guilt both to the zombies and to the people who kill the zombies in this series. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to get into the conversation because... Because, yeah, I'll be honest, I don't really know how to talk about this show. Well, In the Flesh is a very is a very strange show, and it's a very strange show for for a number of reasons. I think because it's it's the first British show we've done, and it, British television on the whole has different sort of interests, different sort of tones. I think some of the cultural and sociological implications and and understandings of what is going on in this show are, are you know, I I am more well versed in in British culture than you are, although I am by no means an expert and I am not a, a, a British person, uh, although I did live there a long time ago, but I but I did live there. Um, and so some of that, I think, is going to be informed here in the conversation. But I also really like this show a lot, and I think the reason why I like it and the reason why I wanted to talk about it on Tuning In is it's a very, very well-structured, well-thought-out plot and narrative, which is not uncommon for British television shows and especially television shows um, you know, on the BBC, they, you know, it, it's, it's a kind of like under, it's a kind of understood thing in, in American circles that British shows are very short. That is not necessarily yeah. the case. Um, you know, there are plenty of terrible multicam sitcoms that air on commercial television in the United Kingdom that make 15, 20 episodes a season. Um, but something like in the flesh, I think is almost, it's, it's a mini series, right? Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. It tells a very self-contained story. It has a very particular narrative it wants to tell. And, you know, surprise, surprise, it got a second series, which we'll begin to talk about next week. But 
you could you could watch this and you could walk away and say, "Oh, I I get this. This was a this was a satisfying story, and I don't yeah. need more of this necessarily." Yeah, my but, understanding is a lot of British shows generally have one creator or you know a, a team or whatever that right. I mean, I assume the fellow who created this wrote all the episodes, and that's fairly common. And so obviously, it is. yeah, and the, you know these three were conceived as a series of three episodes. There are obviously some plot seeds for the next season coming in into play, but then that's only six episodes, and the six episodes, I assume, were also written together as roughly one session. Right, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a it was a big deal. It was announced a couple months ago that the new series of Doctor Who is, is going to have a, an American-style writer's room, which mm. I kind of love that concept of an American-style <laughs> writer's room. But it, it really is a, a very particular way that American television is is done. And, and I, I remember, you know, reading interviews with, you know, I think it was Ron Moore and, and, and um, Iris Stephen Bear and, and people like that that worked on uh, Star Trek and talking about how you break stories and th- this concept of breaking a story is is very particular I think to the way American television is is structured and, and made and written that doesn't really have an analog in in British television and you're right like this is written by one person this is a very particular narrative with a very particular point of view and I think it works very well, but it also is interesting to talk about because you can see it more as a piece of this is one person's yeah. story. Yeah, the arc of this one character, uh, Kieran, and his family and what they're going through, you know, it is a, again, you have three episodes, so it's very easy to know what's going on in the next two episodes, but... You know, sometimes television can have this round robin kind of a problem where, you know, I'm telling one part of the story and then you're telling the next part and then some other guy's telling the third part. And even if we do all have the same story in mind, there are going to be different tones and different points of view. And so, you know, the arc feels very tight in this. Yeah, I mean, it certainly has a very, very particular story that it wants to tell. And and I think it'll be interesting to see what your reaction is to... to you know, the next series when we get to that next week. But, you know, essentially what we have here is, you know, the story of this this one person who, I mean, in a certain sense, I think we have to ground it in the reality of place and we have to ground yeah. it in the reality of, and this is going to be a gross oversimplification, but, you know, Rorton, I don't believe is a real village, but it, it's in the north of England. The north of England is, you know, kind of economically depressed. Uh, it is, you know, not the area that has a lot of uh, political, social, ca- cultural cachet. Um, you know, in when it, you think of the north of England, you think of places like Manchester, you think of places like Sheffield and, you know, um, and you know, so, I was comparing it in a lot of ways to we did on the patron special of the movie Pride, which takes place in a coal mining village in Wales, again, a different country. But I figure that's still s- same kind of atmosphere is here. Um Wales and Pride was a lot fluffier and, you know, a lot more welcoming and open and pretty. But, you know, I I, I assume life in both places is very similar. Yeah, I, I think that's actually a really good way to put it. And, you know, if you haven't listened to our patron special on Pride, you should uh, go give us $5 a month or more at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. And then you can compare and contrast Pride in, in the flesh, which is also an interesting comparison, which I hadn't connected. So I, I like that. But you're right. Like, you know, Rorton is... Rorton is a very small town. Rorton is not very welcoming to to people that are not, um, 
hewing the sort of, you know, standard cultural line. You know, there's a lot of talk about the South and down South. And, and I, I, there's a line, and I think in the first episode, uh, where, you know, they say something like, oh, well, they, you know, the, the military couldn't get up and, and help us. They had yeah. to kind of put everything down south, right? And uh, south in, in England is is where all the money is. It's where all the culture is. It's where a lot of the social, uh, yeah. you know, sort of experimentation is going on. And, you know, it's where London is, of course. And London is kind of this outsized presence on, on the English and, and, and United Kingdom stage. And and so you kind of get this weird inversion of it. But this is really about I think what I like about In the Flesh is that, you know, it's using this very, very cliche storyline at this point of a zombie apocalypse, a zombie uprising. Uh, but it's much smaller than you normally think of it. And it's also one that that, you know, the the, the plot of it actually happens after. Right. And yeah. It's it's using this as a way to get into the mindset of the types of small town people that you see in these places, and uh, you know I'm wondering if that if that worked for you because this is almost sort of I think you can really see the sort of I guess the the DNA of, of something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer in this mm. series. Yeah, I mean, I did find myself wondering, especially during you know the one and you know saying like, oh, you know, they had to deal with it in the cities and. You know, part of me does wonder what this story, what this kid's life would be like in London. Part of me wonders if, I mean, at one point at the very beginning, they talk about, you know, oh, we'd like to move someplace more remote. You know, number one, what is more remote than this place to me? But um, I am such a city mouse. But, um, <laughs> you know, you know the, the, uh, obviously, yes. This uh, And again, I am curious what's going on in the cities. Would this guy have an easier time in the city? I wonder if that's what the next series is going to be talking about. Um, I'm assuming the next, you know, again, I have some ideas. I'm assuming that they're going to go into this, you know, zombie commune or some, this zomune, um, or whatever, but, um, all, all of the conflict really does come from this small town life. I was frankly worried that it was going to be a keeping up appearances kind of a thing that they were going to be, because I know that is a very British concept, right? Like that, um, this concept of putting on a face for your neighbors and all of that kind of thing. I thought that's what the show was going to be about, you know, for their sake, but, uh, you know, that, that is not really what the series turns out to be. Um, I'm not sure where I'm yeah, going. Yeah, because I, I, I think in a, in an interesting way, what what I what I see when I watch this and what I what when I think about it is that, in a certain sense, I think in the flesh or the first series of in the flesh is about the ways in which small towns can really be restricting not only to people like Kieran, but but. You know, people like the the guy whose wife gets murdered at the yeah. end of the first episode, which we you know we will talk about because I think this is a the other reason I like this series is that it is not um, a television show that shies away from making really hard decisions about you know who to kill and what to do and kind of taking the uh, logical extension of actions through their logical conclusions. But I, I think what I like about it is that it, it does really get to the the or, or speak to a sort of almost small town fascism that can happen where, yeah. you know, a person like the vicar and a person like Bill, these two really, really small minded men who nevertheless have a certain skill set and are able to wield power in Rorton 
are really able to to bulldoze everybody else in the town. And it's not that everyone else is afraid of them necessarily, but it's just that it's not really worth the time and effort to go against them. And I I like that a lot. Yeah, I mean, a there's a concept some... to examine. Yeah. I mean, there are moments when Bill almost seems to be going on, you know, oh, with his son, you know, and all of that. And I think he uses the, you know, the vicar is per, is the only, we don't really, we don't really get much of a glimpse into the eternal, internal life of the vicar right now. Um, we don't, you know, he, but he it seems very committed to this idea that, you know, the undead, the PDS, whatever, you know, you want to call these people, you know, that they are horrible and they must, you know, be routed out at anything. And, you know, anytime Bill needs his doubts, I mean, there, the scene where he's asking the vicar, and we are not going to talk about these as three episodes, I assume. <laughs> but I don't uh, think so. Yeah, but, the, you know, the scene where he's like, oh, I need you to give a sermon, you know, and you'll give it all your fiery stuff and doing your duty. And he's convinced, and, you know, he's ostensibly doing that to convince his son, but... I think there is as much where he's trying to convince himself. I mean, all of the, none of the characters are really able to have full intimacies with people that they should. And again, the journey through this. Welcome to England. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, that is the, the final, you know, basically the climax of this series comes with the father, uh, with Kieran's father finally, you know, crying and raging at his son and, you know, just talking about how just upset he was, you know, to realize that his son had died. And that, you know, that is the moment when this family is finally able to have the proper intimacy that a family ought to have with each other. And, you know, none of the other families that we see are able to. Shirley and her son don't really ever have a heart to heart. Bill and his family don't ever really have a heart to heart until he dies. Um, you know, as you said, there is, there is a, there, everybody is putting up walls in this and, uh, you know, you have, ca- you know, a character like Amy who has no walls whatsoever is, you know, such a threat to everybody. You know, these, these, the PDS sufferers are, are partially a threat because yes, you know, in their untreated state, they have killed people, but because, you know, they, they do not follow that. They don't have the same distance that the other people in the town do. Yeah, I, I think that's really right because you know what it what it really comes down to is that this, in a lot of ways, is a series about emotional unavailability, yeah, and and the ways in which people sort of keep each other at arm's length. I mean, I have never lived in a small town like this. I, I don't know what that's like, but you know this this seems to be an extremely extremely small village. Yeah. I mean, I you know five hundred people might live there and. It is the case that it can be very isolating and that the, the, the built environment even of England is very different than it is in the United States. And I mean, I, I think it's hard to even imagine, you know, what, what it's like to live in a town that is that isolated. I, you know, certainly I think there are towns in America that are that isolated, but for the most part, there it's just a very different experience mm-hmm. that people have. And so you're right, like someone like Amy, who I guess lived in Rorton before she died, we don't really get a sense of what she was like before she died. And and it, the interesting thing is, like, nobody seems to, nobody seems to speak to Amy like they knew her before she died, yeah. as opposed to Rick or Karen. 
Uh, although she apparently owns a house or something. I, we, I don't there, know. Well, there, there's that one line that Shirley says where, oh, I knew her grandmother before, you know, she, and it's implied that, you know, I knew her grandmother from the hospice. Now, it's ambiguous whether the grandmother or uh, Amy herself was the patient in the hospice, but I'm a, I, I got the sense it was her gra- her family's house. And right. now she, okay. you know, her family has since died and she just owns the house now. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And, and so really that that's a perfect example, though, because Amy is a, a literal outsider as, as well as a, a figurative outsider, whereas Kieran and Rick are, are people that grew up in the town and, and had very different experiences. And, you know, I mean, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of things that the PDS undead stuff in in this series is standing in for. And, and we'll talk about all of that. because yeah. I think there's a lot of different resonances, um, especially surrounding sexuality. But, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, I don't know that I the show very squarely comes down on not sympathizing with Bill and the people like Bill and the human volunteer, you know, force and all of those. Right. I mean, this is not uh, these are not people that the show is necessarily uh, telling us that they we should be uh, sympathizing with. But at a certain point, you can kind of do that. I mean, because they are people. Well, the best that the show gives is that at some point, it, this was necessary, right? They, there were no, you know, authorities who were able to get to the town of Rotten. And it's, you know, not incidental that this town sounds like the, the word Rotten, right? Like, I think that has to yeah. be, you know, or that Kieran's last name is Walker. There are some puns in the show. But, um, you know, there, there was a time in which, and in their untreated state, the feral undead are violent, do kill people. They did need to be taken care of. Well, now we're at a point in which, yes, they are being treated. There are protocols in place. You know, things are, you know, it's time to, as, you know, Jem does at the end of the series, um, you know, put her gun away and, you know, take off her army uniform and, you know, go back to normal life. I mean, there, there are all of these, you know... Rick, who is a soldier in Afghanistan and having difficult, you know, is and in some ways dealing with a soldier coming home story. All of these people are soldiers who have gone off to war and come back and are still fighting that war. I mean, in a way, they're Rambo, but in a first blood kind of Rambo. You know, there is this fear that this will happen again. And if this were to happen again, if the medication were to fail, if they were to stop taking their medication, that would be very bad. And they do feel that they are the last line of defense between you know, civilization and chaos. Now, I think the series believes that in their medicated state, the PDS sufferers are okay, but I, can, I understand why the HVF formed, and I can, admit in some ways, almost condone it. Yeah, because I, I, I think that we need to talk about sort of the scale of the show, because the the scale of the show is, is very yeah. small, and I think that's it's small primarily because it doesn't have a budget to kind of really expand right. out. But and we only sort of get glimpses of of what the outside world is like, and we only get glimpses of the rising. Right? Yeah. We only get sort of some flashbacks, and the flashbacks we get take place in like a supermarket. So yeah, we're not we're not seeing hordes of zombies wandering through Wharton killing people. That just doesn't happen. The show doesn't have the budget or the or the or the um, scope for that. But. You know, we do see at the very beginning of, of the first episode at the, the PDS um, clinic or, or whatever it is that, that Kieran is at, that there is a very, very, very large number of yeah. 
PDS sufferers that are that are now being treated. And so that's really the only time that you get a sense of the scale of it. I mean, they, they say a couple of things, I think, in the first episode about 140,000 uh, people rose up or something like that, which, you know, is not a tremendous number, but in a country that is as small as the United Kingdom, that could certainly yeah. cause quite a lot of havoc. And, you know, Rick also indicates that it was it was worldwide because he died in Afghanistan. Yeah. Although, well, there, so, I mean, the yeah, they're, they're very subtle about the backstory, so to speak. There is one part when there, there is a close-up on, you know, that brochure, you know, so someone you love is affected with PDS kind of a thing. And I paused it for a second, and it basically says, um, you know, it's not contagious. People who died in 2009 rose in 2010. So it is possible that people who lived in England and died in 2009, some weirdo, weirdo coincidence, you know, alignment of the stars. So it is possible because Rick was born in England that he and, you know, it doesn't matter where he died. This still happened, um, you know, but yeah, we don't get a sense that this happened in America, for example. And there is... um you know, well, we the, don't know one way or the other, honestly. Yeah, I mean, the father says, oh, all these great DVDs have come out in the past few years. If America had been decimated in the same way, I don't think that the film industry would be as robust as it, as he suggests. You know, again, there there are, it is very ambiguous. There's stuff you can read between the lines. I do appreciate a lot of those subtleties in it. Well, I, yeah, I mean, that's that. I mean, I, I don't know that I agree with you necessarily, because I think that one of the things that in the flesh really demonstrates is that the the uprising was was quelled. Yeah, not, not easily necessarily, but but it was definitely quelled before the collapse of civilization. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's five years later and things are relatively back to normal. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be like three years later or something. But yeah, I mean, anyway. three, five years later, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, I think like that that's the case, though, is that this is that's why I like the show. So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons I like the show, but I think one of the reasons I like it so much is that it 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 takes the sort of bog standard zombie story and sort of inverts it on its head because the zombies were stopped. Yeah. Uh, you know, there were a relatively small number of them. We're not talking about everybody that ever died arising from the dead. Yeah, it's only the people that died in 2009. And if we extrapolate out that this did take place all over the world, that's a large number of people. I don't know off the top of my head how many people died yeah. in 2009 across the world, but I would imagine it's probably a few hundred million. But, uh, you know, it is the case that it was stopped and it was stopped relatively uh, quickly before yeah. anything really happened and, and and you know england at least was was able to get back to relative normalcy within you know a few years yeah these drugs were developed very quickly the you know what you know even though it might have been difficult to get the army to mobilize in more rural areas the army did mobilize and yeah so i wonder though about the the ways in which the the show is or, or how you think it works that the show is really collapsing down though because you know like we talked about before this is a very very small scale world it's building and i think that rorton is pretty well thought out and i think yeah. that you know i don't know uh, the, the person who wrote this is escaping me i'm sorry i think his name is dominic something but you know, I don't know what his background is. I don't know if he grew up in a small yeah. town like this, but there there is a definitely a ring of truth to it. I mean, I, I think about the the scene. Uh, I think in the third episode where um, the 
the guy with the longer hair is being mm. kept uh, after he got bitten and people are wandering by and it's obvious that everyone knows him and he's kind of the town fuck up. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it It is the case that, that this is a very sort of well-realized town, I think. Yeah, and I mean, it makes sense for, you get the sense that life in this town is isolated. Yes, there's a train that goes through it, but maybe it goes once a day and, you know, Sometimes you're going to go, you know, yes, people will need to go to London from time to time, but there's, you know, it's not a normal commuter train. It's not much that, um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, in their daily life, their weekly life, their monthly life, all they, all they experience is this town. And, and so the fact that it is so isolated to this town in scope, you know, fits with it. They really don't care what's going on in London. They really don't care what's going on in America or France or, you know, any or Afghanistan. Only in the sense that it affects them, only in the sense that, you know, one of their own went to Afghanistan and died. Yeah. And I think that this, you know, you could even see in the flesh somewhat as a, as a, Prussian sort of pre-Brexit television series because mm. if if you look at the areas in in the United Kingdom that voted for Brexit and the areas that voted uh, to stay in the in the EU, um, you know yeah. the north of England is definitely an area that that voted to leave Brexit leave leave the, the the EU and in a certain sense you can see that in this show because mm. characters like Bill and and the HVF and the and the vicar and those kind of people are very insistent on on closing ranks and you know protecting Rorton to, to, to the cost of everything else. And they're very dismissive of the idea that, that London even not to, not to mention Brussels or the EU yeah, yeah, yeah. has, has anything to offer them whatsoever. And, you know, now that they had to do what they had to do to survive, you know, here comes Westminster telling them, okay, you got to take these people back in. They're fine. Yeah. Now they're medicated and they don't want to hear it. You know, they don't want anything to do with it. Yeah, I mean they're they're dismissive, but rightly so. Again, I it, it's I buy that you know they that the army didn't get to Rorton until you know probably a you know a couple months before the show began. You know, you know they they, the they probably of- stepped in after everything was you know under control, quote unquote. Sure, sure. But but yet at the end of the first episode, you know, after that, um, I do want to talk to you about what you thought about the end of the first episode, because I think that's probably maybe the, the first indication that not only is the show telling a very particular zombie story, it's not going to shy away from making hard choices about where the narrative is going. Mm. But because I think in a, in a different show, his wife would not have been murdered in cold blood in the middle of the street. Um, but in, in the case of... You know, when Bill goes back to his house and the army uh, guy is sitting there and he goes, oh, you know, you, you came to, to take me away. I did what I had to do. And his wife is like, no, that's not why he's here at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's this sense of, on Bill's part that, you know, the, the, the army and the, and the national government is, is there to, to punish them, but nothing else. And, and it's an interesting juxtaposition, I think. Yeah, I mean, the show is, in a way, about the ways that people accept or deny their own guilt in, you know, in violence and their coldness and all of that. And, you know, you have Kieran going through the whole series, you know, dealing with the fact that, you know, he has killed. And, you know, Lisa seems to be the only person that he has, you know, he talks about. Um, It's very personalized. He has probably killed other people, but... um, you know, then you have people like Amy who are basically, oh, it wasn't our fault. You know, we had, 
the problem and we're medicated, but, you know, we did what, you know, several of the undead say, you know, we did what we had to do to survive. And, you know, that seems to be the view of this undead prophet. And uh, Kieran seems to believe that, you know, it doesn't really matter what state we were in, you know, whether or not we were. Yeah, again, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the things that zombieism is reflective of, but this is almost like I was on, you know, I was drunk and I ran somebody over with my car, you know, even though I had no control of myself, you know, even though I was in a methamphetamine-induced rage and, you know, don't remember the incident, I still did that. That was still me. Yeah, because I mean, I, and certainly that's not a perfect analogy, of course, because, yeah. you know, someone chooses to, to drink and then get into a car and drive. I mean, uh, Kieran did not choose to come back to life. But, you know, um, people, you know, the, yeah, but still there, you know, it, and in a lot of ways, it also deals with, you know, mental illness and stuff that people do under the influence of mental illness or, you know, somebody who gets drugged and, you know, does something kind of things. It's not a this isn't a an allegory right? Like, it's not supposed to be an exact stand-in. But I think that's why the metaphor is a lot stronger. It, it being undead, having PDS or whatever, stands in for whatever it needs to stand in in any particular scene. It's a very resonant and uh, flexible metaphor in that way. I, I agree with that. And I, I think that the other thing, that a small point about that is, you know, the, the series is very coy and playing with the idea that the zombies were ha- perhaps not as mindless as everyone mm. says they were and that the, this is a you know the, this the mindlessness of the risen undead is a fiction that the survivors are having to tell themselves in yeah. order to get on with life because you know there the flashbacks with Kieran and Amy uh, eating Lisa and Jem is there. I mean, Kieran seems to recognize his sister. Uh, there's also the the you know the small matter of of the two rabid yeah. uh, zombies in the woods that are not killing anybody and seem to be feeding off wildlife. And there's a small child, and you know, so so there is an indication yeah. that that the zombies are a, a little more with it than uh, people are saying that they were. Yeah. Um... You know, he keeps talking about as memories coming back and all of that thing. But yeah, you're right. It's not very ambiguous. Um, I don't know if I want the second series to go more into that or not. I'm not sure. Um, I trust that if it were to, it would do it in a good way. Um, More in a sense of the world building, getting the characters and dealing with the concept of this moral culpability that they may or may not have. But um yeah, you know, I, I think that I mean, not not to talk too much about the, the second series, of course, but I think the second series, um, you know, this is a very, very insular, very, very emotional uh, story. And, and it's not really about plot necessarily. And I think it's very internal. This this entire mm-hmm. three episode series is very internal. And the second series tries to externalize that a little bit and broaden out the story to varying degrees of success, but mm-hmm. we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, like I said, I, I fully expect them to go to the commune in the next series. We'll just have to see yeah. what happens. <laughs> well, so let's, um, you know, we've talked a lot about the setting and, 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 you know, kind of some of the world building the show is doing. But but let's talk about the actual characters of the show, because I, th- I think this is really why I like this series so yes. much. I mean, I really respond to characters that I 
that I like and that I find interesting. And this is a very, very emotionally moving series for me. I think that if nothing else, um, the, uh, there's a lot of characters in this series that are in a lot of great pain and all of the actors yeah. in the writing do a very good job of, of highlighting exactly how much pain all of these people are in. Yeah. Um, and how much everybody, I mean, most of the major characters are in very strong denial. I mean, whether it's they're making Kieran pretend to eat <laughs> or whether it's, you know, Bill, who until his son really forces to co- him to confront him, or Bill, who until Rick really forces Bill to, conf- you know, confronts him and forces him to deal with this, and he deals very poorly, who seems to be in denial that his son is <laughs> That's anything. That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, he's just seems to be, he, Bill seems to refuse to believe that his son is anything other than just wounded in combat, but he's back and it's okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and certainly uh, the character of Bill is probably one of the most tragic characters in the entire mm. show. And I, I'm certainly not sorry that he was killed. And I think the way that he was killed was very good. And it wraps the, the you know, the end of the first episode around on itself very nicely. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that, you know, this is very much Kieran's story and this is very much um, Kieran's story reflected in how everyone in the town of Rorton has treated him. And yes, of course, part of it is that I think the the characters that fit in least to the town of Rorton come back as as PDS sufferers, which, you know, is a nice bit of inversion. I, you know, someone like Bill is not uh, coming back. Yeah, as yeah, a, yeah. Um, as a as a PDS sufferer, you know, you've got someone like Amy, who we've talked about a little bit before this, this very colorful, larger than life person who uh maybe is not afraid of anything you know we don't know uh a character like kieran who's very sensitive and artistic and was going to go away to college um and is gay and we have a character like well rick, oh well who, who who is at least rick sexual it's ambiguous we can't say he's gay necessarily i think it gets well <laughs> I, I, I'm, I may be putting a little bit of like series two in there yeah 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 um he likes men but- but, you know, he doesn't necessarily yeah, he, have to be yes, gay. Yes, he's whatever whatever the kids are saying these days. Apparently <laughs> gay is no longer a thing. Um, he's demisexual. I don't know. Uh, but at any rate, he he likes Dick. And so, uh, and Rick, of course, is a character who has to really deal with the fact that his father is is kind of a horrible tyrant. But uh, he is secretly sensitive and secretly likes mm-hmm. to, to make out with Kieran. So... There's a lot of ways in which the characters that are coming back are, are sort of stand-ins for the types of things that a town like Rorton is not necessarily going to like too much. You know, yeah. uh, queerness and sensitivity and, you know, sort of uppity, loudmouth women. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we necessarily can say that the woman who gets killed in the first episode is an uppity, loudmouth woman. You get the sense that... Well, I was talking, I mean, oh. I was referring to, to Oh, Amy, you know, yeah, We, yeah, don't, we yeah. don't know really anything about her, yeah. that is true, yeah. But, but I mean, you do get the sense... But I think, well, not to cut you off, but I, I think that his wife is, is that other side of it as well, which is that, you know, here is a woman who did nothing wrong, and she yeah. is representing the, the real tragedy and innocence of these people yeah i mean you you get the sense that she and her husband would have been content for her to just be in the house all the time he would be fine and you know they would not bother anybody they would never leave their house and the fact that you know bill and everybody find this such an abomination to be stamped out even as it's you know not going to affect them how we don't know how long she's been living there but 
they didn't know until, you know, the vicar made it his business to find out. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that one of the things that I like the most about, especially the first episode, and I think to some degree the other two episodes as well, is that it does play around very nicely with your expectations about what is happening and what is going to happen. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, were you surprised at the end of the first episode when the woman yeah. who was peering at Karen when he came home was not actually a busybody and, and she's the one that was uh, the, the, the PDS sufferer that they were going after? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you see the neighbor, like, looking through his window at, you know, when the parents are leaving early in the morning. And, you know, you get the sense he knows immediately if they had... You know, if they hadn't killed his wife, I get the sense he would have been one knocking on the door in the next day and saying, hey, you know, we're dealing with the same thing. You know, it could have, you know, this is a tragedy. This could be a moment of connection. There are, you know, and, you know, uh, I'm again, I'm thinking about Bill's denialism and, you know, maybe this is jumping the gun a bit, but... You know, we talk about Bill as a tragic character. I think he becomes a tragic character because in the last moments of his life, he gets it, right? Like, he recognizes yeah. how big of a mistake that he has had and that he has, you know, even if he didn't get killed, his he lo- he has lost his wife. Um, and, you know, the man whose wife he killed earlier kills him. And it's, pr- you know, it's a, that is a justifiable thing. And... You know, again, during Bill's last few moments, he he clicks and realizes how deeply he has done done wrong. Yeah, yeah. Because I think, in a certain sense, you know, we're talking a lot about Bill, which which is interesting. But I think he's necessarily something I I thought would happen. But he's he's in a way almost the second major character. I mean, he and Kieran are. You know, Bill is more of a character than Rick is, for example, or Amy even. Oh yeah, I mean Amy is Amy is is colorful and fun, and but she's also barely in in the show. Yeah. Um. And and you're right. Like I don't think that Rick is a very. I, I was about to say it's not a very interesting character. I, I don't think there's much of a character there. You know, in a certain sense, Rick never got an opportunity yeah. to, to be himself because you know he certainly the the implication is that uh, he was able to to show more of who he was to Kieran, but yeah. Uh, he was certainly putting on a role for his father and, you know, whether or not the, the Kieran that, or the, the, um, the Rick that, that Kieran knew in the cave or not was the real one who knows, but you're right. Like he's Rick is the sort of, um, he's the fulcrum in which Bill and, yeah. and, and Kieran are sort of orbiting around and, Kieran and Bill are very different people with very different goals and very yeah. different ambitions and outlooks on life. But, you know, at the end of the episode, at the end of the series and that that very, you know, the very end right before Bill is killed, you know, shot and killed. Um, there's also a lot of gun crime in this very small English town. Uh, I just want to point out. Well, there's a <laughs> lot. You know, I, I thought the scene where, you know, the father has the nail bad and the mother is like revving the chainsaw is I started laughing. But then I'm like. Nope, these people lived through a zombie apocalypse. They would know weapons. They would use and their weapons. I love that scene not only for that very matter of factness about mm-hmm. it, but the fact that Kieran is just kind of like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, because he wasn't there for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was kind of, but. No, no, he, he, he was, he was, his weapons were his teeth and fingers. Right, right. And so he does, he doesn't realize exactly how this affected his family. Mm. Um, but, you know, to go back to the point about Bill, and, I, you know, maybe that's the last thing to say about Bill, is that, 
you know, Kieran and Bill arguing and fighting and Bill is kind of like uh, they, they've inverted at that point. You know, Kieran has sort of, you know, found his oats in a way and he's really yeah. found his strength and he is yelling at Bill and really tearing into him. And Bill is just sitting there comatose in the way that Kieran was at the beginning of the series. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I and that Kieran, you know, I, I, I found it very moving that Kieran makes the choice to not kill, to not kill Bill, because uh, uh, I thought I was worried that that was what was going to happen with it. You know that it is this other character, this very minor character who barely has any lines in the piece, uh, who does it. You know that is more fitting because you know it is Kieran's choice to not put blood on his hands. Right? I mean that is the. You know, the entire time people are saying, you know, these people are violent, they're going to snap at any point, and he doesn't, even though, you know, if anybody is justified in murdering Bill, it is Kieran. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's really what the show is getting at is that you you can't really make any assumptions about people based on who they are, what they look like or anything. And, you know, certainly I think that that goes to something like the the fact that... uh, the the sort of socially acceptable thing to do is is to put makeup on and and contact lenses yeah. to make yourself appear more human and, and and I do like the small touch that Karen apparently puts too much makeup on <laughs> you know I mean it, it's just small things like that where he's very afraid of being found out to the point that he's actually making it worse for himself yeah but and, and, well I mean I'm thinking about the scene in which uh, the the guy with the beard is you know. I mean, when he's putting the makeup on Amy, that's almost filmed like a rape scene. And it's, you know, he he, oh, is, yeah. he is, you know, teaching her how to be a person in the way that he would, you know, quote unquote, teach her how to be a proper woman in that way. And he's he's punishing her. I mean, yeah. he's, he's exercising his control and power. And he's saying that 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 you have no agency. You are not a person. I mean, it is a rape. In a, it is. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. It's, it's an assault. It, 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 it's not a sexual assault, but it's. It's certainly uh, shot like one, and it certainly has that emotional, I think, core, yeah. like like it would if if he was actually sexually assaulting her. Yeah. Again, I was worried that, particularly given that you know the, you know, g- given that she has a dalliance with Philip, uh, you know, sex with the undead is a thing, and I was worried that that was going to go. But again, it's almost a little worse what happens. But either way, it drives her out of the town to. You know, be and she is wearing full makeup in that in her very last scene. That's not incidental. Yeah, because yeah, she was beaten down there. Yeah, she's going to a place where she doesn't have to, and this is kind of her last. All right, I just do this for a week until I'm there. So I, I want to ask you about. Um, I want to go back to Karen and and ask you specifically about um, his his suicide in this in this series. Okay. That's kind of what sets this up, right? And, yeah, you know. Everyone and everyone that has a, a family member or loved one come back to them, you know, sort of has a very particular re- reaction to that, which is rooted in, in how the person died. And, you know, we don't know, um, you know, what the old woman's death was. Assumedly, she died of something natural, but an illness I, or something like that. I thought, yeah, I thought they suggested that she was in hospital. That was his sister who was, you know, her sister who was sick or something like that. But either way, you know, she she was an older woman who probably, you know, just died of natural causes or illness. Yeah. 
Right. So so he gets his wife back unexpectedly, but it's probably a fairly happy thing. It's shocking, mm-hmm. of course, but it's not like yeah. uh, she she actively left like Kieran did. You know, Rick obviously went and Rick, in a sense, you know, escaped from his own life and went off and joined the army and died in Afghanistan. And his parents have a very, very, uh, you know, they didn't know that he was dead or not. Right. And so they have this very sort of. um strange reaction to that where he's gone but he's not gone whereas kieran they know he's dead he killed himself and that's a very traumatic thing for the surviving family members and loved ones to deal with and and really what it comes down to is that kieran is a person who you know i think someone says at some point that that kieran you know his life hadn't even started and he didn't really know who he was and you know the fact of the matter is rick essentially saying he was dead or lost or whatever, missing an action, you know, kind of drove him over the edge yeah. to, to commit it to, to kill himself. Um, I don't know. What, what do you make of that? You know uh, what? I, I, I think the very salient scene is Amy's when she's saying, Oh, I died of leukemia. You know, I, I didn't get, you know, get a chance. And, you know, she views this second chance as a wonderful gift in a lot of ways that she died. I mean, I think she was, like, based on her gravestone, like, 22, 23, um, you know, slightly older than, uh, than Kieran, but still just a kid, really, and, you know, for her, she is, uh, you know, her, her epitaph is Dylan Thomas, you know, rage against the dying of the light, do not go gentle in that good night, and she's somebody who did not want death, who loved life, and now that she has it again, she is enjoying the hell out of it doing whatever she can and i mean when he reveals to her that he's killed himself like she's just you know why and she she just doesn't get it and she's so she's very heartbroken for him for choosing that uh it's something that she doesn't understand and i mean none of the characters really understand and you know during the early stages of this i believe that kieran doesn't understand himself and may you know kind of even resents this um you know, he resents, oh, yeah. he resents being, you know, not being cremated as he wanted, you know, which had he been, he would not have risen. It would have been, uh, actually, you know, we should take cremations into account. So it probably was fewer than everybody who died in 2009. But anyway, um, again, there's a resentment that he has to go back to this life that he actively chose to leave. And I think it's important that at the end of the series you know it happens again rick dies he loses that person who was his anchor and yet he does find other anchors he does you know get the support through his family that brings him back from the brink again again he is in the cave he is you know his mother is able to pull him out knows exactly where he is um you know it's a show about second chances and where he is I think finally at the end figuring out how to make the use of that second chance. Yeah, I actually, yeah, I think that's really right. And, and, you know, what it comes down to for me is that, you know, Kieran was, I I don't know. The read I have on Kieran is that he's a very sensitive boy and uh, he's a, he's a queer boy and he's living in a very, very small English town and, you know, just so happened to find uh, someone else who, 
he could experiment with his sexuality with and yeah. not not to not to put too fine a point on it i mean i'm certainly not trying to minimize it i think that that he and rick also got along and you know i don't know yeah. Aaron wrote him poetry and whatever but made him a mixtape <laughs> made him a mixtape yeah exactly but they they had a little bit of a love affair and and you know rick essentially went off and died and and you know in a very tragic circumstance and that pushed karen over the edge and then Kieran comes back and, and, you know, in the early parts of this of this series, he's he's almost comatose. I mean, he's yeah. not happy to be back. He's not with it. He doesn't want to be there. He's very, very passive. Um, and, and as Rick gets back and he realizes that he doesn't need Rick to live his life. I mean, Rick certainly yeah. isn't, you know, falling into Kieran's arms and, uh, you know, telling him how happy he is to be back and, you know, they can be together now. I mean, nothing, nothing like that happens. Yeah. Right. I mean, Rick is also fucked up um, that, that Kieran is realizing that, that he doesn't need Rick and that Rick perhaps is, is gone. And so when Rick kills, yeah. well, not when Rick kills himself, when, when he's murdered by his father at the end of, of episode three, that's Kieran's moment to, I think, come into his own. And that's yeah. also the point of that final scene with him where he talks his father into yelling at him. Yeah. Because I think they're realizing that that they don't want to become yeah. uh, Rick's family. You know, they, they want to be able to talk to each other and, and to have open dialogue. And yeah. it, it works. I mean, it works for me. Yeah, no, all of the denial was the big problem with this, you know, and even for... You know, even the mother, you know, says, oh, I wish your father talked more. You know, he, you know, and, and she talks about how he, you know, there, there's the scene when she's in the group and she says, you know, he just became silent and he withdrew into himself. Um, you know, Kieran is not only trying to force his father out for his own sake, but for his family's sake. You know, his mother needs a husband. You know, Jem needs a father as well. And they all need to be honest with each other and... You know, I see Rick and Amy as the two possibilities that um, that Kieran is trying to navigate in between, right? Like, Rick is the old, well, well, this is what my father says, and I have to do that, and I'm extension of him, and I can't have my own personhood. And Amy is unmoored by family, saying everything she wants, not really caring about polite society, but she's talking about, you know, having having zombie diarrhea at the dinner table you know she's a little right too open you know kieran is realizing that he can be himself while still retaining the ties of his family he is you know yes maybe he doesn't need to pretend to eat anymore that's stupid that's denial that's you know the parents walking on eggshells in order to avoid upsetting him and each other and you know causing a scene and that's not what any of them want either you know you can see them being a little too, you know, too much trepidation around him because the last time something really bad happened to him, he went and killed himself. And, you know, I, I think this is at the, you know, at the end is him, you know, explaining to them basically that I'm strong enough to start being able to take this. I mean, he was, he, he was a, he, he was a dumb 18 year old kid who made a lovelorn mistake maybe. And, you know, didn't have the prop, you know, even though he had a family, didn't quite have the proper support system. And this is kind of forcing that to happen because, you know, Rick's family is what happens when you don't have that support system properly. Yeah, I, I think that's all right. And and I think the other part of it as well is 
that that Kieran realizes because of the fact that his family fell apart after his suicide, yeah. that they really do care about him and that he was important to the family and he was important to all of them. And so, you know, he has come back from the dead and he can see that. I mean, very explicitly, he can see that. And yes, his family is, is walking on eggshells around him. Well, his parents are at any rate, yeah. not necessarily Jem, but... It is the case that that he's able to, I think, contextualize it and start to heal from it because uh, he has that concrete example of of how important he was to to his parents and his and his sister. Yeah, and I mean, Jem even is she's not walking on eggshells, but she's also not relating to him uh, uh, on the right level either. I mean, she is probably a girl who needed her big brother, and when he left, you know, when he died. She became unmoored. She is too became unmoored, and you know, joining the HVF was the only kind of place that was willing to accept her as fucked up as she was. Um, it may not have been the best crowd for her to hang out with, but you know, she again, she's at a point where I think she's you know, and especially through having her brother and seeing firsthand that you know this is indeed over. Again, she needs. She at the end of the series, she recognizes it's time to put the gun away. It's time to stop wearing camo. It's time to, you know, figure out what might what what the next step is. You know, life has to go on. But I think uh, you know the other small part of that, of course, is that, and the reason why I think this this series is is so astute is that it it also. You know, certainly that is true, that that people need to accept the reality of situations and, and be able to, to yeah. you know, look at life with their eyes wide open. But there also is room and necessity for mm. denial sometimes. And I think, you know, the, the whole through line of these three episodes is this this idea about what happened to Lisa. And yeah. when you finally get that in the in the third episode and Kieran and Jem go to Lisa's parents and, you know, Kieran is, is basically desperately trying to convince them that their daughter is not coming back, that her brain was eaten by zombies, that he did it, that, you know, he's not going to uh be able to convince them otherwise and Jem is is pulling him aside and saying you know no don't it's possible that she can come back yeah. because these are people that need it and so yeah. you know that's what i like about it so much is that it's not making any blanket statements about the the e- efficacy or the or the sort of emotional uh healing on any of these characters it's it's very very individual and there's there's room for all sorts of of uh, interpretations of that. Yeah, I mean, I get the sense with them that, okay, so number one, it's not impossible that Lisa can come back. He does see her in the woods. That's implied to be a hallucination, but they also do mention that her body was moved or it wasn't found in the supermarket, so who knows, you know? But I also get the sense that their denial and this hope is something that they need now. And, I mean, the way that they are able to very easy, you know, they almost, they instantly forgive Kieran for what he did to Lisa. They don't seem to be angry at him. They don't seem to have the grudge. They seem to be pleased that he admits it, you know, but, and they, 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 you get the sense that they are going to be able to, you know, the five-year anniversary hits. They will, they will start to close the patio door eventually. They just, right. you know, it, it, it's just, they don't need to be forced into that realization too early yet. 
Right, because it, it's still relatively recent. Yeah. And it, you know, Rick just came home uh, very shockingly, right? I mean, certainly they, they knew that Kieran had been found um, perhaps for a while before they actually went to get him, and Kieran had to go through all sorts of treatment and therapies and et cetera, et cetera, before they could say he was okay to go home. But yeah, you're right, mean, like it is it is possible, and, and maybe in a year or two they will have moved on from that. Yeah, I mean, you get the sense that they are processing these, you know, these undead and as they remember their name okay they you know as they get treatment they'll remember their name i mean before that how do you, you know i did you aren't buried with id on you right so you know they have no, no. way of knowing who they are although now you're making me think that maybe i should be asked to bury get buried with id just in case yeah you just get some tattoos it'll be fine uh, so the last thing I'll mention before I wrap this episode up is, you know, it's not something that the show or, or this series really kind of, I think, highlights, but there is this sort of undercurrent of undead rights and there's this undercurrent yeah. that they need to sort of take responsibility for themselves and demand change and demand to be respected. Mm. And there's also this idea that some uh, PDS sufferers take this drug to... Yeah undo the effects of of the medicine that they're being given i don't necessarily have a ton to say about it or really anything to say about it but yeah i just think it's interesting to note that you know that that to me seems like you know th- it sounds like stuff that they're setting up they're not interested in really going into what exactly this drug does or you know who exactly the the undead prophet is yet um or what undead rights would look like or anything like that but um again that seems more setups for the for future series yeah yeah i think that's right and i think that's a good place to leave in the flesh series one well if you have any thoughts on the episodes we just discussed please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at tuninginshow.com as we mentioned earlier, you can go to patreon.com slash trekaboutshow if you would like to financially support our podcasting endeavors. The Patreon also does support our other podcast, Trekabout. Uh, we are just getting back to Voyager after covering uh, Star Trek Discovery for the past however many weeks it's been, eight weeks, nine weeks, 17 weeks. I don't even know at this point. It's all a blur. Life is a blur since Donald Trump became president. Maybe we're dead by now. Who knows? Uh, but you can go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. <laughs> Richard is now a zombie. I don't want to eat Donald Trump's brain. I just want to tear him apart with zombie fingers, but uh, that's another story. That's a, Yeah, that's another story. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. Tuning in show is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an Apple podcast review for tuning in. It is very useful for new people to find the show. All right. We're, we are continuing within the flesh next week. We have uh, three more podcasts to go in this uh, relatively short-lived series. Uh, we're going to be talking about the imaginatively titled episodes one and <laughs> two next week <laughs> of the second series of In the Flesh. I, I'm sorry that they don't have fun names, but uh, they don't. That's something British television does also. So there you go. Uh, so look forward to that. And then uh, in four weeks time, we'll be back on the X-Files again, which I'm sure Richard is very excited to get back to. I uh, am, because what's going to happen? What's going to happen is that Mulder and Scully are going to be zombies. Mac, why do you...